It's really hard to argue with the news value of these like massive billion dollar companies putting so many resources behind these extremely risky bets in a disease that has been absolutely unforgiving in the clinic. That's Annalie Armstrong, a senior editor here at Fierce Biotech. Later, we'll hear more from her when we take a close look at a new study from the Alzheimer's Association. The study tracked all the drugs in development for Alzheimer's, and that's a lot more than you may think. I know I was surprised, but more on that later. I'm Teresa Carey, and this is The Top Line from Fierce Biotech, Fierce MedTech, and Fierce Pharma. This episode is brought to you by Zymo Research. Today is Friday, September 2nd, and we've got a special day today. We'll be doing a deep dive into the Alzheimer's landscape from drugs that are in phase one to phase three trials, including smaller biotechs and big pharmas. We'll discuss it all. We're also looking back at the past honorees of our Fierce 15 Awards, companies that were given the honor 10 years ago. And we'll find out what they're up to now, a decade later. Before we dive into that, I have a special announcement. We are hosting the Fierce Biotech Summit on September 19th and 20th. The two-day conference covers drug development from the earliest stages of research to FDA approval. We've got a great lineup of speakers, and we'll announce the Fierce 15 honorees. You don't want to miss this. So if you're worried about getting FOMO, then join us in Boston. Check it out at FierceBiotechSummit.com. But first, a word from our sponsor. Zyma Research is a world leader in sample collection. Safe Collect sample collection kits are designed for at-home sample collection with no cold shipping or expedited shipping required. Samples stay stable at ambient temperature for up to 30 days, and samples are safe to transport with DNA, RNA shield, and activating pathogens, including COVID-19 and monkeypox. I received a series of sample collection kits from Zymo Research, and we tested them out with my family. Both the oral swab and saliva collection methods were very easy to use. I have two young kids, and I can confirm that it is not easy to do proper nasal swabs on children under five. While the saliva collection took a little while to complete, it was very effective with my five-year-old. He even had fun doing it. And my two-year-old did great with the oral swab. It was highly preferred over the traditional nasal swabs. The sample instructions were clear, the collection method was easy, and I was comforted knowing that any pathogens would be deactivated once they enter the test collection kit. If you'd like to learn more about Safe Collect Sample Collection Kits, go to zymoresearch.com. That's Z-Y-M-O research.com. There are just three therapeutics for Alzheimer's disease that make headlines right now. They're well-funded, they're far along, and big companies are staking their claims on these drugs that are, well, kind of risky. But senior editor Annalie Armstrong looked deep into a report at the 143 drugs currently in development for Alzheimer's. Here she is with Max Bayer. I write about Alzheimer's a lot, (laughs) and there's three medicines in the clinic that get most of the headlines these days. They are Isai and Biogen's Lecanemab, Genentech's Gantineuromab, and Eli Lilly's Denanemab. Well, first of all, I think A1 on the pronunciation here right off the bat. Um, (laughs) But it's hard not to, right? I mean, I think Alzheimer's uh, and, and neurological diseases, you know, might catch, you know, some of the most attention in biotech and pharma given the unmet need. Um, and these are the furthest along and, and have some serious companies backing them. 
Right. It's really hard to argue with the news value of these like massive billion dollar companies putting so many resources behind these extremely risky bets in a disease that has been absolutely unforgiving in the clinic. Not to mention with diseases for which per, what we've seen is like getting adequate clinical data is super hard. So with that said, you know, what, what exactly are these medicines? Yeah, so all three are what we call monoclonal antibodies. So they target the reduction of amyloid in the brain. So this type of drug tries to mimic the antibodies your body already makes in its immune system to boost the response to foreign invaders. And that's where beta amyloid comes in. So beta amyloid is a protein believed to be involved in Alzheimer's disease. Scientists think that this protein clumps together to form plaques in the brain, and then those collect between the neurons and disrupts cell function, and that's what leads to the cognitive decline and other symptoms in Alzheimer's. De- the, the, the amyloid theory has definitely been sort of one of the leading therapeutic theories in Alzheimer's, but, but is there any other sort of uh, method or tactic that's out there? Yeah, so it turns out there's a lot. Um, a few weeks ago, I came across this excellent report from the Alzheimer's Association. So they actually scraped the federal clinical trials database using AI and some other measures. And they came up with all the Alzheimer's treatments that are currently in development. So I'm a huge data nerd. I called in our data journalist and he got to work. What the report, the headline of it was, is that there's currently about 143 therapies being studied for Alzheimer's. And that's spread across 172 clinical trials. Half of those trials are sponsored by biopharmaceutical companies, and 68% are in late-stage study. And are they all basically the same deal, focused on monoclonal antibodies? No, although those do have a big presence. About 34% of the therapies are biologic drugs, particularly monoclonal antibodies. But the biggest portion of the research is actually dedicated towards small molecules, which make up 66% of all the, the Alzheimer's drugs in development. So that's therapies that, that patients can actually take orally. That seems like a massive research effort. It really is. So AA tallied the commitment that patients are making for these studies. If fully enrolled, all these studies would mean 50,575 people or more than 3.8 million participant weeks. So what did you do with all this data? Well, it wasn't a perfect snapshot for our purposes. You know, these things rarely are. Um, But we went through it and eliminated the therapies that are under development by universities and things like THC and caffeine that aren't your traditional drug in development. Although I do have to say I am personally rooting for that type of study to succeed here. I was going to say, like, I'm two doses in this afternoon, so I feel like I'm, I'm treated if, if, that's, if that pans out. Yes, I know I personally <laughs> asked my husband to, like, add an extra scoop to our coffee today because I wasn't feeling well, so it would be yeah, great. to treat yourself for Alzheimer's. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so another thing I'll note about this report is that clinicaltrials.gov moves a lot slower than drug development does in real life. So, for instance, there's a phase two study entry for a therapy called AL002 being conducted by Elector and AbbVie. But fierce readers know that AbbVie walked away from that collaboration in July. Um, But otherwise, the Alzheimer's Association gave us a really great snapshot of what else is out there in this horrible disease. Yeah. And you mentioned sort of the three, some of the three major players right now, given the late stage aspect of the meds that they're working on. But what are what were some of the other highlights and, and some of the other um, 
sort of programs that rose to the surface? Yeah, so a lot of the phase three meds are going to be familiar. These tend to get a lot of coverage because of the advanced stage they're in. Of course, the three that we talked about off the top are in there from Eli Lilly, uh, Genentech, and Biogen Esai. But then there's also things like Cassava Sciences, Simophilam. It's on there. And, and that one has frankly been in the news for kind of the wrong reasons. The company has been battling accusations that they manipulated data in early preclinical research. Um, but they do have two phase threes underway with completion dates in June 2024. So a bit of a ways to go for that one. Um, and then there's also a med, if I can pronounce this one, it's called Adazaginstat. That one's tough. <laughs> <laughs> Still looks like you're, you're five for five at this point, I'd say. <laughs> I know, I'm, I really try. I really try. Um, so that one's from Quince Therapeutics. So this company just changed its name. They used to be Cortazyme. Uh, and this therapy is actually being shopped around for out-licensing due to some reprioritization of the pipeline that Quince is doing. Um, it doesn't have a great record in the clinic either, as it failed a phase two, three study in November 2021 and had a clinical hold placed on it earlier this year. So those two definitely sort of sound a little bit like they're going in sort of the trajectory where we've seen a lot of Alzheimer medicines, in other words, saying that they are sort of failing. Um, are, is there any that you found and, and stumbled upon that seem a bit more promising? Yeah, so there's a cool one from Novo Nordisk that's stood out to me. They're testing their diabetes and weight management drug Ozempic in the hopes that it could improve nerve cells, inflammation, and vascular health and slow the progression of Alzheimer's. There's a pretty long wait for proof on that one, though, with a completion date for the two late stage studies in April 2026. But that's a big name. And I don't know that they would throw a drug like that into testing for Alzheimer's unless they had some, some decent ad evidence that it could do something. And how about phase two trials, sort of the trials that lead into these larger uh, phase threes with, with more participants? Yeah, so this is where we start to hear a bit more about the other theory of, al of Alzheimer's, which is tau. So scientists think that this protein also builds up into tangles in the brain and contributes to Alzheimer's. These therapies also haven't had a ton of luck in the clinic so far. Um, but UCB Pharma has one called Bupranamab. And it has a completion date in 2025. And then AC Immune and Janssen are working on a vaccine that targets tau. And that one has an end date a little sooner in October 2023. It's interesting that you mentioned tau because to sort of go back to how you started, I know that in, in prior conversations, and, and you're probably well aware too, that Lily and Biogen both are also having some earlier stage tau looks for, for Alzheimer's as well, those although those sort of lag behind these sort of lead assets that have some some critical readouts coming. Yeah, and they were definitely on the list. Biogen and ISI had a couple extra candidates right. uh, here as well. And so then that sort of leads us at like the earliest stage, which is phase one, usually the first time that a drug is, is entering uh, the clinic and being put into patients. Anything in, in that list that caught your eye? So this list was a lot smaller. One therapy that stood out to me is Lily's recently named monoclonal antibody, Remturnitug. The company has called this the follow-up to denanumab and a next-generation anti-amyloid antibody. I got a kick out of that when Lily told me, considering I would say that we haven't exactly seen a first-generation one. Yeah, it definitely seems to fit a uh, biotech trend where uh, everything is next-gen. <laughs> yes. Um, 
<laughs> Unless I guess you count Biogen and, and iSize Agilehelm. That might be the first gen in theory, albeit a controversial one. I I mean, there's certainly a lot to improve on in the next gen after Agihelm, um, considering the companies have basically pulled that thing from the market. Well, this all sounds like an incredibly cool snapshot of the Alzheimer's landscape, um, just top to bottom from the phase ones to the phase threes, including uh, smaller biotechs and big pharmas. And so appreciate you digging in. Yeah, I love a good nerdy data product project. So this was fun. Awesome. It's the 20th year we're seeking out the most innovative private biotechs, which means we've also entered the second decade of checking in on our past Fierce 15 honorees. Editor Annalie Armstrong sat down with writer Gabrielle Mason to talk about the Fierce 15 class of 2012 and what some of the biotechs are up to now. We'll get to that after a word from our sponsor. Dino Research is a world leader in sample collection. SafeCollect sample collection kit are designed for at-home sample collection with no cold shipping or expedited shipping required. Samples stay stable at ambient temperature for up to 30 days, and samples are safe to transport with DNA, RNA shield, and activating pathogens, including COVID-19 and monkeypox. SafeCollect sample kits can be used to detect a number of pathogens, including but not limited to SARS-CoV-2, Dengue virus, Ebola virus, influenza A, rhinovirus, MERS coronavirus, West Nile virus, as well as a number of bacteria and yeast and eukaryotes. From NASA to Nobel Prize winners, those who rely on safe, simple, reliable sample collection use Zymo Research products. To learn more about Safe Collect sample collection kits, go to zymoresearch.com. That's Z Y M O research.com. Every year, we compile the Fierce 15, which is the top new biotechs that are making waves in the industry. But right now, we're going to take a look back at some of our previous winners. Um, While we work on Fierce 15, we also take a look back at the class from 10 years ago. This year, we got a chance to look back at the 2012 nominees. um, And Gabby was the one in charge of that project. So how, what was that like? What was it like taking a look back at these companies that, you know, we kind of profiled 10 years ago and, and now they're, they've been off doing their own thing? Yeah, thanks, Annalie. It was definitely super interesting, um, you know, kind of to see the evolution of some companies and, you know, kind of to see where some companies fell off the map a little bit. I think I was surprised at just how many biotechs were kind of snapped up by big pharma and how many biotech names aren't in existence anymore. Yeah, there were a few survivors that are still around, (laughs) which we're going to talk about. But so what exactly were we looking for in 2012? What companies did we highlight? So in 2012, we were really um, aiming to profile those risk takers, you know, the ones that were going after the hard to treat diseases that were pioneering new treatments um, and kind of really giving big pharma a run for their money. Um, And not just because of the treatments that they were going after, but because they had the financial backing to do so. All right. So we're all... 15 of the biotechs we profiled 10 years ago still around? (laughs) Absolutely not, Annalie. (laughs) I don't know the exact number, but a lot of them definitely dropped completely off the map. Um, And like I said, and others were part of like, you know, huge blockbuster deals with big pharma and others do continue to kind of 
plug away at their pipelines? Yeah, so uh, I think one that that's good for us to start with is Mersana, which is one of the companies that I wrote up. So they emerged, you know, around ten years ago, and they were going after antibody drug conjugates, which are, which is still a big feel in biotech today. Um, but when we profiled them in Fierce Fifteen, they were still in the preclinical stage. Um, so in 2017, they did an IPO. They raised about $75 million, which was nice. Um, so things seemed to be going well for them, but then things got a little bit rocky. So in 2018, they were hit with a partial hold for a therapy called XMT1522 when a patient in a phase one breast cancer trial died. Um, so that was a, a pretty big stumbling block for them. They were able to alter the study and get the hold lifted, but eventually that drug was discontinued. So fast forward to now, they kind of got over that. They rejigged their pipeline a little bit and, and had some other candidates that were promising. They're now led by a former Takeda executive, Anna Protopapas, and things are looking up. There's been some big news about them this year. In February, they signed a huge deal with J&J's Janssen unit that's worth up to a billion dollars. And that includes work on ADCs for up to three different targets. So that was a big one. But just last week, the biotech signed another deal with GSK, which is worth up to $1.36 billion for another ADC. It's going after HER2 cancer. So Lots of news for them after a little bit of a tough start, but things are things are going well. Yeah, and that's an absolutely huge deal, um, which another biotech you've probably heard of that I'll talk about, um, Enanta Pharmaceuticals, they also have a ton of huge deals with big pharma. So when we named the biotech Enanta Pharmaceuticals to our Fierce 15, they already had a reputation for signing these high value deals um, with big name partners like AbbVie. It's actually this collaboration though with AbbVie that really gave Enanta financial power um, they still get royalty checks from their hepatitis C therapy, Mavret, which is sold by AbbVie, um, and that continues to fund their R&D now. The biotech, which was traditionally focused on drugs for viral infections and liver diseases, has used this financial freedom to kind of take a chance now on a COVID-19 therapy. Um, their antiviral therapeutic was actually rewarded with a fast track tag from the FDA in May, and Enanta anticipates a phase one data readout in the coming weeks. The biotech is also kind of sticking behind its RSV candidate, despite a phase two B trial failure for the N protein inhibitor that sent its stock tumbling this May. The company still expects to see better results. They're still holding out hope um, in higher risk populations and expect top line data for another phase two study of its RSV vaccine soon. RSV is such a hot area for big pharma right now. So it's interesting to hear of a smaller company trying to break into that space. Um, so the next company I want to talk about is AC Immune. And speaking of big pharma partnerships, they have a ton of these. Um, but just going back to when we named them to the list in 2012, we kind of said at the time that going into Alzheimer's was really difficult. And, you know, that is still true today. So 
you know, just recently AC Immune was in the news for the phase two failure of Crizenimab, which they were developing with Genentech. Uh, it failed um, in early Alzheimer's disease in this study that took about nine years. So right around the time that we named them to the Fierce 15, this, this trial got underway. So that's kind of an interesting timeline and, and good time to catch up with them. Um, I spoke to C- CEO Andrea Pfeiffer recently, and she said they're still committed to sorting through the data on Crinezumab, but, um, and no decisions have been made about the future. Um, but yeah, it's just a really, really difficult uh, disease area. And I think this latest failure for them is really highlights uh, how difficult the job that they're trying to do is. But outside of Crizenimab, AC Immune also has some major collaborations with Janssen, and they are working on an anti-tau vaccine in that partnership. And then they also uh, have a partnership with Eli Lilly, where they're working on small molecule treatments. So there's kind of like two prevailing theories in Alzheimer's. One is beta amyloid, and the other is tau. The belief with beta amyloid is that these protein plaques build up in your brain, and that causes eventually the cognitive decline that you see in Alzheimer's. Tau is kind of similar. It's also a protein. In this case, what they believe happens is that these proteins build up again in the brain and form tangles that that contribute to the symptoms of Alzheimer's. So AC Immune actually wants to create a vaccine that would prevent these tau tangles from happening in the first place. It's really a pretty like tantalizing area of research in Alzheimer's that I think AC Immune is really kind of on the forefront of. I don't know anybody else who's doing this in such an advanced stage. So of course, it would be amazing to have an Alzheimer's vaccine and you know, with Janssen behind them, that's it's pretty interesting um, to see such a big pharma betting on that. Are there any other uh, biotechs or companies going after anti-tau or is that solely AC immune? There's a few companies that are uh, going after tau, but maybe more in the therapeutics vein. Um, a couple of big pharmas are, are, have tau candidates um, in the clinic and stuff like that. So it's it's not a unique area of research. I think AC immune's vaccine approaches may be unusual, but there's probably others out there that are doing it too. Okay, interesting. And then our last one is one of the bigger names on our list. Do you want to talk about that, Annalie? Yeah. So the last company I think we're going to talk about t- today is Bluebird Bio. We named them to the Fierce 15, of course, in 2012. Um, they kind of had some some success early on. They got a gene therapy called Zentiglu approved in Europe for beta thalassemia. Um, and you know, that was great news. They got an approval, but then things kind of went a little sideways for them. Um, Zentiglo was eventually pulled from the market over some disagreement on the pricing um, that Bluebird Bio was just never able to get over with regulators there. So they really needed this beta cell approval and now they have it. So the company is now on the cusp of two US launches, which is a big deal. So last year, Bluebird Bio split the rare disease-focused pipeline um, and their oncology pipelines. So the rare disease-focused gene therapy stayed with Bluebird, and the oncology portfolio went over and became 270Bio. So that was a pretty big deal. And of course, they kind of had this Zentiglo and um, problem hanging over over them. So now today, we're kind of seeing on we're kind of on the other side of that. So. Um, they've really weathered some tough times, uh, and 
you know, hopefully things are looking up for them. It's seriously so interesting to kind of watch the evolution of all of these biotechs. And I know we have um, another class, our class of 2022 Fierce 15 coming up. Do you um, want to say a little bit more about that? Yeah. So this is going to be, we're going to be announcing our class of 2022 in September. We're really excited to be doing Fierce 15 again. We do it every year. But this year we get to return to in-person at our Fierce Biotech Summit, which is exciting. We're going to have an event around that and a couple panels at our um, summit. Um, so it's going to be a big year and, and nice to see a bit of a return to normal after two years of everybody working remotely. So yeah, stay tuned. Um, we've got some cool companies we're going to be profiling for Fierce 15. And I think the whole team enjoys this assignment, getting to know some new companies and and learn about what they're doing and what's going to be kind of next. Yeah, I'm so excited to be back in person in Boston and really, really excited to turn out our Fierce 15 profiles for this year and have everyone read those. That's it for The Top Line. I'm senior producer, Teresa Carey. Our sound engineer is Caleb Hodgson. You can find out more about these topics in our show notes at FiercePharma.com. Look for podcasts. Don't forget to follow The Top Line on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you listen. And that's The Bottom Line from The Top Line.